If you came over from YouTube today to hear this, thank you. It is appreciated. Follow me on whatever platform you're hearing this as a backup to YouTube. You know how things can be over there. However, when I'm over here, I, as any regular listener will tell you, I don't usually hold back when I have these special things. So if you're a regular Apple or Spotify or other audio-only listener hearing this, this is an exclusive version of the show today that is way too spicy for YouTube. The first half, this is a bit longer than normal, the first half is the exclusive part, and the second half will be the usual YouTube episodes. You're not going to miss anything on that end of things either. But the news today that's too hot for YouTube is this. In Canada, one archdiocese is going to require the vaccine to go to mass, and the unvaccinated will likely be reported to the government, and we also have some odd and similar news out of Vatican City that's getting talked about very badly by very good people. So we're going to go over both of that here today. And if you smell the smell of incense right now, you'd be right, because the Archbishop in question, and yes, Vatican City, have just pinched incense to Caesar on the COVID-19 issue. This won't be limited to that diocese either, and frankly, it probably won't be limited to Canada. If you're in America, expect something like this in the coming weeks or months. It's almost guaranteed to happen somewhere in the country. Let's get a look at the statement from the Archbishop of Moncton, New Brunswick, and his threat of turning you, the Canadian faithful, over to the secular authorities. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, the Provincial Minister of Health, Ms. Shepard, met with religious leaders in the province following the announcement of new measures regarding the pandemic. While explaining new guidelines, she indicated that they had only one goal, to increase the rate of people fully vaccinated in the province, two doses. Vaccination remains the best way to counter the spread of the Delta virus and protect the population, especially the unvaccinated. The government is looking for a vaccination rate of around 90%. The minister made it clear to us that she does not require masks, sanitizing, or social distancing at our gatherings. These measures remain at the discretion of individuals. Instead, she wishes to have gatherings of fully vaccinated people to keep people safe and to act as an incentive for the unvaccinated. That is why, going back to past health measures, masks, sanitizing, and social distancing, as a way to include unvaccinated people at our gatherings, is not the measure promoted by the government. Therefore, beginning Wednesday, September 22nd, at any gathering inside our churches, rectories, or community centers under our supervision, those present must be doubly vaccinated. 1. By gatherings we mean religious celebrations, Sunday and weekly masses, prayer meetings, baptisms, weddings, funerals, confirmation, first reconciliation, first communion, parish and pastoral meetings, catechesis meetings, management meetings, conferences, workshops, fraternal and social meetings, bingos, card games, etc. 2. By those present, we mean priests, lay ministers, members of choirs, volunteers, the faithful, and other participants. This also applies to family members or close friends at baptisms, weddings, or funerals. Young people under the age of 12 are naturally exempted by this measure as they cannot currently be vaccinated. How can these measures be put in place? 1. At Masses next week, several volunteers are expected to be at the doors of each church to ask worshippers for full proof of vaccination and collect their names on a list of fully vaccinated people. This list will be used again on subsequent Sundays, so our volunteers will avoid asking our parishioners for proof of vaccination each time. The request for proof of vaccination would then be required only for new people. This list may eventually be requested by the government. 2. Inform the funeral home staff that family members and loved ones who come to church are to be doubly vaccinated. For baptisms and weddings, this task will fall to the parish office staff or to the person meeting the family to prepare for celebration. 
As with other masses and celebrations, it will be necessary to keep a list of participants in funerals, weddings, and baptisms after ensuring that they are doubly vaccinated. For catechesis with children, we follow the rules in force in schools. For the safety of young people, catechists should be fully vaccinated. When parents or another adult attend the meetings, they will, of course, have to be doubly vaccinated. For a celebration in church, you will follow the rule in force now in our churches. As for parish employees, it is highly desirable that they be fully vaccinated. However, if this is not the case, they will have to wear a mask at all times and undergo a COVID test periodically according to government policy. We will accept anyone who comes to parish offices for information or service. If this person is not vaccinated, they may be asked to wear a mask. Can we still accept a person who is not vaccinated or has had a single dose inside our facilities for a celebration or meeting, even with a mask or social distancing? To that, the minister said no, unless she had proof of exemption, which is rare. We ask you to implement these new measures in each of your Christian communities, not only to respect the government's request, but above all to help stop the spread of the virus among our population. We would not want one of our places of worship to be the location of a COVID exposure due to our negligence. The Minister of Health is counting on our cooperation. If you have any questions, do not hesitate to contact us so that we can help you implement these new measures. I thank you in advance for all the efforts it requires to put in place this new protocol. May the Lord bless us and continue to watch over us, Monsignor Valerie Vianio. My only question is this. Is this what accompaniment looks like in the Church of the New Advent? Does this of turning lists of the faithful who don't want the vaccine over to the government count as accompaniment? Does denying the sacraments to the faithful over the vaccine count as pastoral accompaniment? Notice that now they're not even dispensing with the Sunday obligation for those who don't want the thing either, so you won't be going to Mass by your own volition, which places you in a state of mortal sin. Or so that seems to be their intent. And people wonder why so many Catholics don't want the jab. Now here's the weird thing about this. This bishop is definitely one that we could call a Francis bishop. Not just a modernist, but a strident modernist. Virtually all the bishops since the 1970s have been modernist to some degree or another, but some are obviously worse than others. And this one is in that latter group. He hates the traditions of the church, embraces all the secularization of the church. You know the type. I cover them here ad nauseum. But here he stands in opposition to the Vatican's official stance on the COVID-19 vaccine. Here's a short excerpt from the Vatican on whether you must take the thing or not. Quote, At the same time, practical reason makes evident that vaccination is not, as a rule, a moral obligation, and that, therefore, it must be voluntary. End quote. That comes from a document published by the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith on the 17th of December, 2020, and it was approved by Francis. The bishop here is going well beyond what Francis has required. Now, that having been said, this document I quoted is the only one from the Vatican that has any binding force on the faithful. If we believe that anything the current Vatican issues in forms of documents are binding in any way, all things considered. But the best part about this, many believe that this will be limited to Canada. Look, folks, we know already that somnolent Caesar Joe Biden wants to impose a vaccine mandate on the entire country. We know from credible reporting that the First Lady demanded that the U.S. government go full Australia on the population, essentially locking people in their homes and not permitting them to travel more than three miles from home and imposing a vaccine mandate on every individual in the country. We also know from credible reporting that they don't think it would stand up in the courts, so they've been pushing it on employers to force it instead. Here's the thing. In the United States, the Catholic Church gets billions of dollars in federal funds through refugee resettlement programs. 
It would not take much for them to impose a vaccine mandate on all attending any function of any participating group in these federal programs, meaning anyone who goes to any function for a religious group, including worship or reception of the sacraments, would be required per administrative rule to get the vaccine. They could make that rule and it would immediately go to the courts, but we don't know what would happen after that. And it's probably coming to America unless something changes. And the impetus could simply be a bad flu or COVID season that leaves a lot of people dead from what the government will say is the virus. So expect that to start coming soon. That having been said, like I said already, this isn't getting limited to Canada. Diane Montagna reports this news from Vatican City. Quote, As of the 1st of October 2021, entry into the Vatican is permitted exclusively to persons holding the Vatican Green Pass, the European Green Pass, or foreign green COVID-19 certification, proving vaccination, recovery, or negative rapid molecular or antigenic test, end quote. Now, this is getting reported badly by a lot of good people. So let's be very abundantly clear. We can get into the Vatican for mass just fine. But you cannot go to the museums or other things tourists and visitors would want to visit without either proof of having received the jab or proof that you got COVID and that you recovered in some way or received a formal and what the EU considers to be an acceptable treatment. I don't know why the Vatican is submitting to the EU at all, but okay. Now, is this a good policy? No, it's not a good policy, but we should report this accurately. But if you have not received the vaccine, you'll need to wear a mask and they'll probably make you wear one anyway, even if you got the thing. And I'm not saying it's a good policy. I just want this to be reported as accurately as possible. Now, that having been said, the story out of Canada isn't done. More is certainly going to come on that front, because reportedly the archbishop in this story has gotten a lot of pushback, but nothing will come of it. Keep an eye out for the story to get repeated in other dioceses around Canada and watch for the first whispers of it to happen in America and beyond. We are currently ruled by malevolent morons, and frankly, there is little that they won't try in order to please Caesar and to keep his dirty silver coins flowing into their church coffers. Now, on to the YouTube regular story of the day. Thank you again for clicking over here if you if you did come over from YouTube. Whenever Francis opens his mouth, pure, unadulterated wisdom from the depths of the pits below always, without fail, wafts out. Now we have some more wisdom from him, and instead of just giving you his comments and riffing off of them for 12 minutes or so, I'm going to compare what he says to the actions he and his hirelings have taken to suppress the real threat to the spirit of Vatican II. So let's just dive into this already, because we've got some news today. First, Francis gifted the world with more of his timeless wisdom at an audience recently when he defined a new sin for the world. Let's just use his own words verbatim. In Rome, he was addressing the faithful when he said, quote, Rigidity is a sin against the patience of God. So holding fast to what we were given by the apostles and their successors and not listening to a new gospel is a sin against the patience of God. Got it. Gotta love the new sins he comes up with out of thin air. As an aside, I have an audio-only bonus on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Podbean you should check out today. It's linked in the show notes at returntotradition.org, a link to which is in the pinned comment below, or you can just go to Spotify or whatever and look for Return to Tradition. It's the upload there for today. But the pinned comment should be the top comment you'll see in the comment section. The subject of it is just way too spicy for this place today, and it's on a subject that I'm betting is coming to a diocese near you soon enough, as things just get weirder and weirder in the world, and it will piggyback nicely off of our topic here today. 
So while Francis talks of rigidity, the reporting out of Rome is that the surprises that he wants us to be ready for are the biggest reform and transformation of the Roman Curia since the Council of Trent. In addition to letting the laity decide what the values of the world the church must include in her governance in the coming synod on synods, and letting the laity decide what the teaching of the faith are and what the faith itself is, a reform of the Roman Curia would categorically mean the rebuilding of the administration of the church into the image and likeness of Francis. Think about the implications all you want about that. All of that, though, is happening while the bishops of the world continue to implement Traditionis Custodis. And the bishops who in July said they needed time to decide how to implement it are now coming out with how they will implement the document. And it's not good news at all. The latest news comes from Montana, where in the Diocese of Billings Great Falls, the bishop just implemented Traditionis Custodis. Here's the bishop's pastoral letter on said implementation. Decree implementing the motu proprio Traditionis Custodis, issued September 10th, 2021. 1. This decree supersedes the previous policy established by the Diocese of Great Falls Building, providing guidance for the celebration of the 1962 Massali Romanum under Samorum Pontificum. The former policy is thus rescinded. 2. Priests of the diocese who already celebrate Mass utilizing the 1962 Massale Romanum are authorized to continue celebrating Mass under this form and may receive the faculty upon request. See Traditionis Custodis, Article 5. 3. Given that there are no suitable locations other than parish churches, locations where Masses utilizing the 1962 Massale Romanum may be celebrated are St. Luke's Church in the Corpus Christi Parish in Great Falls, St. Leo the Great Church in Lewistown, St. Anthony of Padua Church in Laurel, St. Mary's Church in Livingston. See Article 3, Subsection 2. Readings are to be proclaimed in the vernacular language using translations of the sacred scripture currently approved by the USCCP. Practices and arrangements of the liturgical space and altar which merge elements of the 1962 Masale Ronum onto the Novus Ordo Masses are not permitted. 4. Celebrations of Mass using the 1962 Masale Romanum is restricted to weekday Masses, which include Saturdays, and is not to be used for solemnities, Sundays, and Holy Days of Obligation. See Traditionis Custodis, Article 3, Subsection 3. The normal ritual for weekday Mass remains the Novus Ordo Mass. 5. No new locations are allowed in which Mass may be celebrated using the 1962 Massale Romanum other than the locations cited under Item 3 above. Priests who have been granted the faculty to celebrate Mass under the 1962 Massale Romanum may continue to do so privately. 6. Whereas Samorum Pontificum granted permission to use older rituals in the administration of the sacraments of baptism, the nuptial sacrament, penance, and anointing, Priests and deacons celebrating these sacraments are to use the currently approved liturgical books. 7. The Congregation of the Sons of the Most Holy Redeemer, the Transalpine Redemptorists, erected under the Pontifical Commission Ecclesia Dei, may continue to use the 1962 Massale Romanum exclusively and associated rites as promulgated under their constitution. See Traditionis Custodis, Article 3, Subsection 1. These directives are to be observed fully by Sunday, September 25, 2021. The noteworthy item here is that the bishop is actually going to make the diocesan priests interrupt the sacred liturgy for the proclamation of scripture in the vernacular instead of the traditional practice of reading in the vulgar tongue during the homily and the ending of the use of the preconciliar sacramental norms for the one group dedicated to the 1962 Missal. Even better, though, is the ending of reverent masses in the Novus Ordo form altogether in the diocese, meaning that the unicorn masses have been abolished in that diocese. So no more altar rails, no more ad orientum masses, none of it in the diocese. 
This is how Francis wants to combat rigidity in the church, and the bishop is happy to go along with it. But this isn't limited to America. Francis is scrapping tradition left and right. You may have heard about this already, but if not, buckle up. Remember how Francis, after the Pacamama nuptial rite he participated in, refused to say a papal mass at the main altar of St. Peter's Basilica for like nearly two full years? Well, he has since said at least one mass there, but he's now permitting regular clergy to say masses on his papal altar, and that is a complete break from the traditions of the church. Diane Montagna on Twitter reported this, which comes from an outlet called Il Messaggero, an Italian news site that is protected by a paywall, so I can't really see the full article, but I do trust her reporting on it. Here's the scoop. Quote, As a result of the upheaval and chaos begun by hashtag Pope Francis, for the first time a simple priest will celebrate Mass at the central altar of St. Peter's Basilica under Bernini's Baldacchino, which for centuries has been reserved only to popes. End quote. Now, some people will say, so what? Or, that's great, he's being so inclusive and accompanying. The thing is this, that altar is reserved for the Supreme Pontiff himself. No one else may use it. It's a sacred thing, and he just has no respect for that. Now, I know a few of you will say that is another sign that he's rejecting everything to do with traditional aspects of the papacy, including the titles, and maybe even his own claim to the Catholic papacy, in exchange for transforming it into something new. Who knows what's going on in his mind on this one, but this is something to be added to the long list of things to be concerned about with him. But this just builds on the central theme of his audience. You see, at that audience with the faithful, Francis really told us what he wants to do. He admitted that he wants to tear down the structure and institution that is called the Catholic Church and replace it with something new. He admits to wanting to build the ape of the church. At his audience, he said that we must, quote, overcome beliefs that hold back. And then he banged the table, shouting, It may be necessary to change and overcome beliefs that hold back and prevent us from moving and walking together. End quote. Overcome beliefs that hold us back. Do you get it yet? I know that some don't believe this stuff or think people like me are just engaging in hyperbole, but no, Francis is saying this stuff himself and out in the open. Believe him when he says things like this. He's telling you what he wants to do. And we must hold fast to what has been handed down to us, is what our response must be. We must cling rigidly to the traditions, to the beliefs of the faith. That is the only thing we can do in response to this, is to hold fast. Of course, Francis is the great agent of chaos himself in the church. He told people to go out and make a mess early in his reign, and he is doing it himself. Over at Commonweal Magazine, professional Francis fan fiction writer and calumnator of parishes and the faithful who attend them, Austin Everay, has this piece celebrating the coming synod on synods that will, mar in his words, mark Christianity forever. Now that sounds ominous to me, I don't know about you. Headline, The Spirit in the Assembly, Preparing for the Synod on Synodality. Have you ever noticed that the modernists talk about the Spirit but rarely mention the Holy Spirit? kind of makes you wonder because if we are to know them by their fruits, as our Lord says, then the spirit they're talking about is probably not the Holy Spirit. But anyway, Ivory is going to give us the party line, and these days they're not hiding what they're doing anymore, so the party line is actually gives you an idea of what's going on. Quote, The most far-reaching event in the Catholic Church in my lifetime officially gets started next, next month. It is Pope Francis's boldest move yet. The historic shakeup that a church brought low by... Ted McCarrick headlines and messes badly needs, and potentially the most transformative moment in Catholicism since the Second Vatican Council, 
which it seeks to embed permanently into the life of the church. The two-year Synod on Synodality, launched in Rome on October 9th and in dioceses worldwide a week later, is set to mark Christianity forever. Yet who knows what is even happening? A global process set to mobilize millions and transform the world's oldest and largest institution has so far registered as no more than a blip on the Catholic radar. Bishops briefed by Rome Synod Secretariat back in May have been mostly quiet about it, hiding behind cautious communiques buried on websites, awaiting details, fearful of unleashing forces and expectations beyond their command. So we begin with a paradox, the path to the 2023 Synod in Rome on the theme for a synodal church, communion, participation, and mission, is designed to engage every diocese, every bishop's conference, and every continental church body. It will unleash the biggest popular consultation in history. It will require, as never before, the assembly of the people of God in mass meetings, at parishes, and across dioceses around the world, who are being given the ability to imagine a different future for the church and her institutions, in keeping with the mission she has received, in the words of the preparatory document released last week. End quote. And uh, Ivorea is right about one thing. It has largely flown under the radar for most of the faithful, probably because these days the faithful are living in a world where the sacraments were deemed not all that important by the church when they closed our parish doors and didn't even offer confession or baptism in many places for the better part of one of the weirdest years in the last century. Plus, frankly, most Catholics are not as engaged in these things as you and I are, and that's important because you and I can go to these meetings in our dioceses and let the bishops know what it is that we think. But please... Do it with respect, even if you don't personally like the bishop. Do it out of respect for his office. Because if you come off as hostile out of the gates, you will be met with stony silence. Ivory is trying to rally the troops here to get them to go to these meetings. So you should go as well if you are able. Commonweal Magazine is very widely read. Now Ivory goes on to describe how the meanie trads want to take over the synods. We do, let's be honest. And how a late Catholic in Ireland who calls himself Catholic but embraces the Jimmy Martin topic with full gusto, also wants to take over the synod meetings. He brushes that off to paint himself and Francis as the great moderate voices of reason. Then we get this, where they reveal their hand. Quote, Yet this is exactly what a Catholic synod is. Unlike synods and other traditions, the Roman version is consultative. Final responsibility for discernment and the decisions that flow from it lies for, with the bishops and ultimately the Pope, who are assisted in their discernment by the body of believers, or so the theory goes. In practice, before this pontificate, any pre-synod consultation of the people of God was at best perfunctory, and the synods themselves were less exercises in discernment than confirmation of existing belief and practice. That has changed under Francis. Ever since his elevation, he announced that he wanted to proceed gently, but firmly and tenaciously, Towards a synodal church, Francis has been shaking awake this dormant Catholic institution. Synods in Rome, there have been four, are now pastoral, inductive, and dynamic. The discernment is genuine. Conversion happens, and change results just as in the 15th chapter of the Acts of the Apostles. But the people of God has so far been mostly passive of spectators. That is what the synod sets out to change. End quote. I always get nervous when people start talking about the conversion of the church, because that's their aim here. And why not just call it a new Catholicism at this point? Led by the ever-changing whims of the laity who have been formed not by the church, but by the world. Getting back to Francis, though, at that same address to the faithful where he defined the sin of rigidity, he claimed that the coming synods were just a continuation of the process we see in the Acts of the Apostles. The two-year process is not a, is, does not to gather opinions like a survey, but to listen to what the Spirit wants for the church, being open to God who is one of surprises. 
yes, his God of Surprises. But perhaps the most ominous thing he said to the faithful lay people in the audience about the Synod was, prepare to be surprised and prepare for surprises. His idea of surprises, frankly, concerns me, and it should concern anyone watching. But that's the thing. Most, most Catholics will pay little attention, which is why I still say that we should show up to our diocesan and parish meetings and make sure to have the voices of the traditional faithful heard in all of this. Maybe your participation can mitigate the modernists just a bit. And you should participate because if you don't literally, people who are not members of the church will participate. From the National Catholic Register's piece on this, quote, For instance, the Synod's Vatimecum, or Handbook, presents a concerning concept of the census fidelium, on the one hand stating that the synod is primarily an act of the baptized, but then calling for the inclusion and even prioritization of the voices of non-Catholics and even non-Christians, with no clear indication how the contributions of those who belong to the church will be distinguished from those who don't. End quote. The piece goes on to illustrate just how bad of an idea this is, because even the bishop of the Diocese of the Internet, Robert Barron himself, spoke out against it. Yeah, it's that bad of an idea, because we're on the same side here so please consider participating. I bet you never thought most of us would be on the same page as Bishop Barron on this, but that just seems to be how things are playing out. Let me know what you think about this synod and Francis's new declaration of the sin of rigidity that tries the patience of God, or the situation in Montana, in the comments, please. And as always, please pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.